When my Nona was alive, she made the most amazing pasta sauce. She would buy the freshest ingredients and then she would spend all day creating and cooking that sauce in her kitchen. And you'd walk in her house and you'd be hit by this wall of smells, olive, olive oil and garlic, the meat and the cheese, the freshest pasta you'll ever taste. And your mouth would just start watering and you couldn't wait to see what Nona had brought together, how she brought together all the pieces in just the right way to make this one amazing sauce. And the sauce, as amazing as it was, my Nona graciously passed it on to my mom. Well, kind of. Because one day my mom was watching my Nona and she caught her sneaking in some ingredients that she had just happened to leave out when she was telling my mom how to make this sauce. And later on, we found out that my Nona, she actually was holding back on us. That she was keeping certain key ingredients out of the recipe that she had passed on to us, ones that would complete the sauce and put it over the top and bring it together so that we would have the sauce that we knew so well from Nona. And so you know what my mom did is my mom would actually stake out the kitchen and she would try to catch my Nona in the act of sneaking these ingredients into the sauce. But my Nona, she was way too sneaky. She was too smart. And we never found out what those key ingredients are. And my Nona, my Italian grandma, took that recipe in its fullness to the grave. And we missed out on that one or two ingredients that made her sauce everything that it was those one or two ingredients that made all the difference. And so now with your mouth watering and now you're hungry, let's switch gears and let's talk about the Christmas story and ask the question, what if something like this happened with the Christmas story? What if some of its foundational realities and truths were left out or removed? What would happen then? Well, you'd lose out on what makes the Christmas story the story that we know and we love, the story that we celebrate every single year, we would lose its beauty and its power because the pieces that make it the story, the good news that it is, well, they wouldn't be there anymore. And so as we enter into the Christmas season, and we're going to begin a new teaching series. And in this series, we're going to explore this idea and look at three simple yet foundational realities of the Christmas story that make it the good news that it is just like those foundational pieces where my Nona's pasta sauce. And today we're gonna to start with the simple yet foundational truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if you have a Bible, we are going to be in what's called the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna be in chapter one, verses 18 to 23 is where we're going to camp out today. And Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus. It tells the story of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. In Matthew one, when we come to the opening chapter of this Gospel, it's gonna talk about the arrival of the Son of God in history and the incredible difference that that makes to the world and to our lives. So we pick up the story of Jesus' arrival in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, reading through this story immediately puts two problems before us. The problem of exposure and the problem of the extraordinary. See, on one hand, you have the problem of exposure. For some of us, we've heard this story so many times that it's become familiar. We become inoculated to the wonder and the beauty and the mystery and the magnificence of this story. And so we come and we don't see it as anything miraculous anymore. We don't see it with the same eyes. We've lost our wonder about the realities that this text speaks of. And so for some of us, that's the problem that we face of overexposure. But for others of us, we, we deal more with the problem of the extraordinary. We read a story like this where biology is bypassed and a baby comes to life supernaturally in a teenage girl's womb and our scientific and skeptical minds get activated. All kinds of questions come up about this and about the extraordinary claims that Christianity makes. I mean, just in this text alone, we read about a teenage girl becoming pregnant without ever being with a man. We read about how this baby is just like every other human baby that's ever been born, but in fact, this baby is unique in that this baby is God, that God has come to earth in this baby and taken on human form without losing any of his divinity. It's extraordinary stuff for sure, and that's just one story at the beginning of a bunch of stories all culminating in the story of Jesus. Zoom out to the rest of the story of Matthew's gospel and what you see is angelic beings speaking to people. You see God speaking from heaven in ways that people can actually hear. You see Jesus healing people of sicknesses and disease. You see him walking on water and calming storms with just his voice. You see the blind being given their sight back. We see the lame being able to get up and walk. We see dead people coming back to life. And this is just the story that Matthew tells. Go on into the other stories of, about Jesus called the other Gospels, Luke and Mark and John, and then into the rest of the New Testament, and you just can't escape the reality that the Bible is putting before us that there is a God, that he is real, and this God is active and alive in the world that he created, and sometimes even in miraculous ways. I mean, you can't miss it as you read through the pages of Scripture, and for some of us, this, this causes a problem. It doesn't fit into the way that we see the world and how it works. And so stories like this one, they challenge our assumptions. They put before us the problem of the extraordinary, this idea that God is real, that he actually exists, and he will act in powerful and unexpected ways to bring his purposes to pass in human history, in time and space. Like here, in this opening chapter of Matthew, we are told that heaven pierces history in a way that nobody expected. Back to verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so this is Jesus' earthly origin story. Now we know that Jesus has no beginning and he has no end, that Jesus is eternal, that he's always existed, but his story as Jesus of Nazareth has an origin. And this is the origin story on earth 
of Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew tells us this all the way back in verse 1 of this chapter, that this is a new day in the story of God, that a new era in, in human history, a new era in the redemptive activity of God is now beginning with the birth of Jesus. He tells us how Jesus arrived on earth and that something is happening in Jesus that will change absolutely everything. This is Jesus' earthly origin story. And you know, we like a good origin story, don't we? I mean, in the last decade or so, we've got to enjoy a lot of amazing origin stories from the comic book universes of DC and Marvel. Origin stories about Wolverine, Black Widow, Captain America, Iron Man, Superman, Batman, the Avengers. We pay to watch these movies. We get lost in them. We comment, comment on them. We watch YouTube videos about them because we enjoy these stories, don't we? We enjoy learning how someone becomes a superhero. We, we like learning about the backstory, like where they came from, how they acquired their powers. It helps us to know the characters better when you watch these stories, right? It helps us understand them and their circumstances that came together to launch them into superherodom. See, we love this stuff. We love a good origin story. And I think the story of Jesus' arrival on earth, it brings us face to face with an origin story unlike any other origin story. This story helps us appreciate him and know him. It helps us know where he came from and, and all the circumstances that came together to make him who he was. It gives us insight into what he came to do and it invites us to experience the wonder of it all for ourselves. And so in Jesus's earthly origin story, we have the greatest origin story of all time about the greatest person of all time and it looks nothing like anyone expected. I mean, if you put yourself on the ground in the first century Jewish world, you were in a world where God's people are ruled by Rome. They're living under Roman rule, and there's this intense anticipation for the arrival of a kingly figure called the Messiah. Someone who would come and overthrow the enemy Rome. Someone who would set up God's rule and reign on earth, who would sit on the throne and rule over the world forever. This was the Jewish hope. It was tied to this Messiah kingly figure, and it was a hope that was militaristic and nationalistic. And the Jewish people were in this time of waiting. They were expecting God to do something and to do something miraculous, do something big, something noticeable. But instead, God comes as a child in a small, insignificant town called Nazareth. Instead of revealing his glory in a big, noticeable, grand way, God reveals his glory in a human baby that he puts in the womb of a teenage girl that maybe is 13 or 14 years old at this time. See, God chooses to come near to us in the unseen, in the unexpected, hidden away from the spotlight. This Jesus was a king, and he would come to deliver. He would fulfill the Jewish hope, but just not in the way that people expected him to. And Matthew, well, he brings us right up close to that reality as he opens up this origin story on earth of Jesus. Back at verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus's earthly origin story is actually scandalous. Like, it is not a neat and tidy story at all. First, because of the situation that Mary and Joseph are put in. We're told that they're betrothed, which means that they are engaged to be married, and they're in a season of waiting for that to actually come to pass. And in that season, as they're waiting to become married, all of a sudden, God taps Mary on the shoulder, and he says, hey, Mary, I want you to carry the Messiah. Yeah, the Messiah, Mary, the one that I, I promised will come. Oh yeah, and, and God the Spirit, yeah, he's put this baby inside you and this baby is going to rescue people from everything that separates them from me, which is sin. Uh, okay, God, like, can you actually do that? And God's answer is, I can't because nothing is impossible for me. I can do all things. I can create out of nothing. I can redeem any story. I can pierce the gap between heaven and earth. I can part the Red Sea. I can feed 5,000 people with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two fish. I can turn water into wine. I can give sight to the blind. I can heal with a simple touch. I can bring the dead back to life. And I can put a baby in your womb, Mary, if I want to, because all things are possible with God. See, this God that we are introduced to in the Bible, this God is not limited by bi biology or science. Like, they can't stop him or they can't get in his way. This God, he can do all things. And this pregnancy then, well, it's a beautiful and it's a miraculous thing, but it was also scandalous because Mary was going to be accused of adultery. Her reputation of her family and her would, would be ruined, there would be shame that would be heaped upon them, her reputation and her marriage were at stake. Any unfaithfulness in this betrothal season, especially sexual unfaithfulness, was a deal breaker. And so for 40 weeks, Mary is gonna face the questions and the suspicions as people wonder what actually happened, right? I mean, I would ask that question if I was on the ground and I saw Mary all of a sudden pregnant, because people don't just get pregnant out of the blue. They don't just get pregnant out of nowhere. So there has to be a juicy story behind this, right? So there's going to be questions. There's going to be shame that Mary is going to experience. Her family's going to experience shame. Joseph and his family will experience shame. For nine months, Mary and Joseph, they can't run or hide. They have to face it every day. It was this moment of confusion and hurt and so many questions. And so this story about the arrival of Jesus is not neat, and it's not tidy, and it reminds us that God does not always do things in the way that we expect him to. He'll surprise us. He does unexpected things in unexpected ways with unexpected people. Just in this story, nothing that happens is expected. There's a scandalous situation. There's angels showing up in dreams. God is supernaturally producing life in Mary's womb, and then the kicker. The announcement that this baby is the Son of God, is Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
we are dealing with a great and a beautiful mystery here that some way, that somehow, God, the creator of heaven and earth, became human. That the eternal, the fully divine Son of God who made all things, who is life, and who sustains all life, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, who gives light to a dark world, who is all-powerful and holy, this God becomes just like us. That God spent nine months in a mother's womb and was born just like us. That God needed to be cared for and fed and protected by his parents, just like us. That God learned to walk and to talk, just like us. That God felt joy and sadness, friendship and betrayal, just like us. So in Mary's womb, the divine and the human unite in a mysterious and incredible way. God is with us. It's an amazing mystery, but it's also bringing amazing hope to bear in a dark and lost and broken world. Because finally, at long last, God is, is putting the pieces in place to do what he always said he would do. And I don't know about you, but when you don't have uh, all the pieces for a puzzle, when there's a missing puzzle piece, it can be really frustrating. Like over the course of the pandemic, my wife and I, we really got into puzzling. And after the boys would go to bed, we would take time and we would sit at the kitchen table and we would do a puzzle together. It was a, an amazing time. And, and we also bought some puzzles for our boys and our boys love doing puzzles and they're really, really good at it. But they're also really good at losing the pieces. And every time we get them a new puzzle or we bring a puzzle out, we always remind them, hey, make sure you keep all the pieces in this one place because you don't wanna lose them. You don't wanna get to the end and have an incomplete puzzle. And they nod their head and they say, yeah, we got it, mommy and daddy. And you know what they do every single time is they lose one piece. It's like clockwork. Every time there's one piece that's missing, they arrive at the end and somehow, some way, the piece is missing. And we look and we look and we look for them and we can't find them. And, and the end of all their work is this one puzzle piece is missing and it's aggravating. It's annoying, it's frustrating. And for the Jewish people, this was kind of what their story was like. Because up to this one point, they had this story, but the one missing piece was the Messiah. He, he was promised that he was coming. They were looking for him to come, but they couldn't find the one piece. I mean, they were looking, don't get me wrong, they were looking and they were waiting and they were waiting. And for generation after generation, that one puzzle piece that they were looking for was not found, could not be found. And then one day, the announcement of this angel is that the peace has been found. That the peace has come close. God is here. The Messiah has come. But he hasn't come riding in on a war horse decked out in beautiful armor. But he's come in the hidden and unseen place. A teenage girl's womb in a town that everybody looked down upon. There, in that place, we see that the final puzzle piece has been put in place. God has come. He is with us. The King is here. He's arrived in the person of Jesus, which brings us to this, is that God doesn't always do the things the way that we expect him to, but he always keeps his promises. See, God may not do things in the way we want. He may not do them at the pace we want, but God always comes through. 
And Matthew highlights this for us by using something that a prophet named Isaiah had said hundreds and hundreds of years before this very moment. It's Matthew reminding us that this may not look like what you thought. This may be unexpected. The people and the way this is happening might be completely off the grid from what you expected. But this God, he's doing what he said he would do. And what did God say he would do hundreds of years before this moment? The words of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so Isaiah was speaking of a day in the future when a virgin would have a baby called Emmanuel. And that this would be a sign to God's people that God was on the move in history once again. And now here in Jesus, Matthew is telling us the sign has arrived. Ancient prophecy has become a present reality in Jesus. The promise made long ago is now being fulfilled in Jesus. In this baby, God has come right where we are. This baby is a light in a dark world. This baby is a king who would set up God's never-ending rule and reign. This baby is the son of God. God is with us. He is here. And in this moment, all the waiting ended. Hope became reality. God was finally doing what he said he would do. He had come himself on earth to be present with his people. And he came for a reason. And verse 21 reminds us, it actually gives us this reason, is that Jesus, God himself, came to save us from our sin, to save us from everything that would separate us from God. Jesus came to make it possible for any single person to have a life with God, both now and forever. That's the destiny of Jesus. That's why he came. And that's why this Christmas story, as scandalous and unexpected as it is, is good news of great joy for all people. Because at a specific time, in a specific place, God showed up to do what he had promised to do. The arrival of Jesus was an announcement from God to the Jewish people, to us, that all the promises of God are starting to come true in Jesus. The time has come. Hope is here. God is going to rescue his people, not from Rome, but from their slavery to sin. This is where our hope lies as followers of Jesus, that God did come, that Jesus did live, that Jesus did die. He did rise again for us. And at the end of the day, this is the message of Christmas. It's a message of waiting ending, hope arriving, and hope that lasts beyond the grave. I love what scholar J.I. Packer writes about this. He says, the Christian message is that there is hope, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. So this really is the greatest news that we could ever hear, that God wants to be with you enough, that he loves you enough, that he would come himself to do for you what you could never do for yourself, that he would do whatever it takes so that you could have a life with him, both now and forever. And he does that in a way that's unexpected, is mysterious, is surprising, but he does it. And he does it because that's who God is. God doesn't always do things in the way we expect him to, but he always keeps his promises. 
He said he would do it and he did it in Jesus. And if we lose this part of the story, if we were like Minona and we leave out this key ingredient that God came to be with us, to save us, so that we could have a life with him, if we don't have this part of the story, if this God didn't come to earth, if this baby wasn't the son of God, if Jesus didn't accomplish redemption for us, if Jesus didn't reveal God to us, we'd still be waiting for God to keep his promise of rescue. And the story would look so much different. But Christmas is a reminder that there is good news, that God did keep his promise and that he did come through for us even after a long time of waiting. And I think this is where our stories intersect with this story because we are in a season of Advent. It's a time where we are awaiting with anticipation and hope of the arrival of Jesus. But it's not just an Advent because every one of us is waiting on something or someone, aren't we? I mean, think about it. We're all waiting for that phone call, that diagnosis, the promise to be kept, the callback, the pain to stop, the darkness to lift, the struggle to end, that person to come back, the promise that was made to us to actually be kept, the money to arrive in our bank account. We could go on and on. We wait in lines. We wait in life. We're waiting for the day when God is going to come through for us. We wait a lot, don't we? And the thing about waiting is that it can be really hard. It's not easy to wait, especially when you know that God could snap his fingers and make it all okay in an instant. And so waiting is hard. And what this story invites us to consider is that God doesn't always work at the pace we want or in the way we want, but he always keeps his promises. He is always at work and he is going to come through. He will not waver in his commitment to you. What he says he will do, he will do. And it may feel like he's absent or you're not or he's not doing anything as you wait. But I think this story is going to help us see two things. And I want to bring those things to, before you. The first of which is that God has promised to be with you. See, if we look at the story of the Bible, one of the great promises made, maybe even the greatest promise of all, is God's promise to be with us through all things. I mean, we could go through and we could pick out many, many verses, but two of them have stood out for me as I've gone through overwhelming situations, as I've gone through difficult situations. One of them is from the part of the Bible, well, actually, both of them are from part of the Bible before Jesus called the Old Testament. We find the first in Joshua 1.9. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Or how about Psalm 23.4? It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. So our comfort is not that God will remove the hard moments of our life, but that he will be with us in them. And the waiting sometimes is a hard moment. And, and, and this text reminds us, and I want to encourage us to, to embrace this, that as we wait, we can actually trust that God is with us there in the waiting, that the goodness of God is not just seen in his ability to come through, at the end, but it's also seen in his ability to wait with us, to be with us in that space in between as we wait. So that's the first thing is that God has promised to be with you. 
He's shown that you matter enough to come into this earth, to live, to die, and rise again. We have the promise of his presence with us. When we put our faith in him through the Holy Spirit, that's the first thing is that God promises to be with you. And the second is that in the waiting, God is setting the stage for his arrival in your situation. If you look at it, prior to this moment in the story of God, there was about 1,800 years or so of God faithfully working in history, of God faithfully working in people's lives and in situations to guide them all through them and guide all of history to this one moment where he would show up to keep his ultimate promise to come to be with us and to rescue us. So if you look at it, the waiting that we go through is also a time of God's preparation. We can go back into story after story in, in the story of God and see this for ourselves. God works in the unseen. He works in the ordinary. And we often miss that because we're not looking for it. And so as you wait, know that God is at work setting the stage for his arrival in your story. And know that God has a knack for showing up at just the right time. And that even in the waiting, he is up to something. And so as we wait this Christmas season, as we wait in the seasons ahead, there are a few questions that have been helpful for me that I want to share with you that will help you as you wait well. The first question is this, is where might God be present and at work right now? Where is he working? Where is he moving? To, to get your eyes up, to ask that question, and then to seek the answers in your situation. The second is, how might God be doing something that I may not expect or understand right now? I mean, so much of God's work is unexpected and is for something that we don't understand or don't fully comprehend or see in the moment. And so how might God be doing something in this moment that I might not expect or understand? And finally, what, is God, what does trusting God look like in my situation? What does faithfulness to Jesus look like in this situation? Three questions that can help you as you wait, because make no mistake, God is at work. He doesn't always do things in the way we want or the way we expect, but he always keeps his promises, and he's promised to be with us, and he's promised to be at work for our good. He did it in Jesus, and he'll do it for us, not just in Christmas season, but in every season. And that is good news of hope for all people this holiday season.